0: Them have survived. There were many, many individual stories about his exploits. Those stories were passed on through succeeding civilizations so that when the Sumerians were overrun by the Akkadians, and the Akkadians were overrun by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians were overrun by the Assyrians, each one of them took the story over and then retold it for themselves. It even made it outside the Middle East into places like Asia Minor with the Hittites and into places like Syria. Um, but it is, it so it it survived through many many changes of of culture in the in the Middle East. Somewhere in the second century BCE, second millennium BCE, my sorry, um, the second millennium BCE, someone took all those stories and wove them into one narrative. We're not sure we know who did that, but the the scribe whose name is on the bottom of one set of tablets is Sin Leki Unini and so that we will give him credit for that at any rate, whether he's the one who actually wove these together or if he was just copying these tablets, we don't know. But Sin Unini will work as well for this poem as Homer's name does for the Iliad and the Odyssey, and we'll stick with that. The poem then was pretty much lost until the 19th century, and in the 19th century it was rediscovered in a really exciting story, which is told in another teaching company course and which gets told in the introduction to most translations that you'll you'll, uh, find. The poem itself is divided into two parts, two unequal parts. The first part is pretty much a straightforward heroic story about the exploits of a legendary king. When we say that Gilgamesh is heroic, we're using the word heroic in pretty much the same way that all early peoples would have used that term. Heroic means larger than life, and his adventures are also larger than life. Um, Gilgamesh, as Achilles will be later, as Aeneas will be later, is semi-divine. He has a divine mother and a human father and so hence he's bigger than life in all respects. He's got more courage, he's got more strength, he's got more size, he's got more appetites, he's got more ambition, he's got more energy, he has more everything than ordinary people does. And so the the epic poem in this case is the story of heroic adventures about a larger-than-life character. He begins the poem, in fact, as a ruler who's pretty much wearing out his people, because they're just ordinary people, and he's semi-divine, and they can't keep up with him. His appetites for war and sex particularly seem to have been annoying them and wearing them out. And eventually what they do is they go to the gods and they pray for deliverance. They say, we need some relief from this guy. The gods answer the request by creating a partner, a a companion for uh, Gilgamesh, they make him out in the wilderness, they create him out of clay and hair. They call him Enkidu and then they drop him down among the animals and he is raised by animals, living with animals. He grows up that way and, uh, and until he is discovered by a trapper. A trapper sees him and is frightened at what he might do um, to his traps and so he goes to the city to see what he can do. Um, Enkidu, by the way, turns out to be a, a perfect complement for uh, for Gilgamesh. If If Enkidu is half human and half animal, um, Gilgamesh is half human and half divine. So if you put the two of them together, they make up one totally extraordinary human being. When the trapper goes to the city, he comes back out into the wilderness with a hierophant, or a temple priestess, a, a temple prostitute. She opens herself to Enkidu, and as the poem says, they make love for seven nights and six days. And then when Enkidu is exhausted, um, and wants to go back to the animals, the animals reject him. Something has happened. He's made a transition from purely animal life into some kind of human life, and sex has been the portal that's taken him from that one to the other. Once he's rejected by the animals, he goes back to the hierophant who takes him to a group of shepherds, and the group of shepherds then teaches him how to groom himself, how to eat human clothes, how to, uh, how to, to, to wear, eat human food, how to do all the kind of human things. And when he's learned that, then the hierophant takes him the rest of the way into the city. He, when he gets to the city, the first person he meets is Gilgamesh, and the two confront one another, and they have a huge wrestling match um, in the middle of town. Um, it's a very close-fought uh, match but eventually Gilgamesh throws Enkidu, and when he helps him up, the two become fast friends. They become best buddies. This is the first example in all of literature of that kind of male-male bonding that we'll get later on with Achilles and Patroclus in the Iliad, or David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. Now that uh, Gilgamesh has a friend, he decides to channel some of that energy and to use it for a for a, a purpose that is going to be very common in these first first. Uh, works of literature that we do in this course. That is, he decides that he and Enkidu are going to go out and win a name.